All right. Good morning, everybody. It's good to greet you today. I want to greet those who are joining us online. Thanks for being a part of this service. If you've got a Bible today, go ahead and grab it. Let me hear pages turning to the New Testament book of Philippians. And when you find the book of Philippians, find chapter 2 and just hold that ready. This is week 3 of our special vintage Christmas series. And I just want to spend a little bit of time today talking to you about how to rediscover Christmas. And I'm going to begin with a question. How do you judge whether or not your Christmas was a good Christmas. I mean, what kind of scale do you use to evaluate Christmas? When I was a little boy, I would evaluate Christmas based on the gifts that I received. In fact, this past week, I spent some time trying to remember some of the more memorable gifts that I received when I was a little boy, and I tried to go back in my mind as far as I could, although I'm not someone who remembers a lot of details about when I was really little. But I was able to recapture the memory of some specific Christmas gifts, and since I am the age that I am, everything about this is going to be vintage Christmas for the next few minutes. Uh, But uh, I I tried to start from the oldest gift I remember uh, forward, but I I wanted to share a few of them with you. I remember when I was a little boy, and I have a brother who's 17 months older than me. We shared a bedroom our entire life growing up, and so when we were little, we always got the same gifts, and so we could play with them together, and that made that uh, a lot of fun. But when I was really small, I remember getting a gift one Christmas called a Varum Racer, made by Mattel, a Varum Racer. And I'm gonna, I found a commercial on YouTube for Varum Racer, and you're going to see how old this is by the fact that the commercial is in black and white. Let's watch it for a moment. Before the race, it's always the same. You go over the course again and again, and then it's time. Don't you love that guy's voice? You can tell it's Matwell, it's well. It's this. Now, I've got, a, I've got a couple of grandsons. My oldest one will be six this, uh, two days after Christmas. His name is Jack. And can you imagine if I said, Jack, man, I got you the best Christmas present in the world this year. You're going to open up this gift. It's going to be a plastic car with a string on it tied to a stick. And you're going to be able to go like this in circles. And it's going to make a lot of noise. Yeah, I don't think that would go over very big with Jack. Well, then another favorite memory from Christmas when I was a kid is seen in this next commercial here. Thunderbolt. Jay West rides the buckboard with his sister Janice, while his twin brother, Whiting Huncho, fires to turn the herd. 
There's Jean West. Can she control the covered wagon? The stampede is getting closer. Will Jane and Janice escape? It's up to you. You're the boss of the Wild West with your Best of the West collection. Each figure complete with up to 31 pieces of authentic gear. And look how you can pose Comanche. Get the Best of the West by Marks. Now somebody surely has to remember Johnny West and his horse Thunderbolt. Anybody? Let me see some hands. All right. And I had all those things, except, I want to be clear this morning, I had no Jane West action figure in my collection. My Johnny West action figure was a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. He took, a, he took a spiritual gifts inventory and found out he had the gift of celibacy. And so we didn't need no stinking Jane West action figure at my house. But we had all the other things. And that was a really, really cool experience and a good memory. Well, I got one more, and it's really, it's really short, but it shows you that some Christmas gifts never go out of style, especially for little boys. Let's look at this. They're the fastest metal cars you've ever seen. Mattel's new Hot Wheels. Collect them by themselves or get them in wild new action sets, like the Drag Race action set, the Stunt action set, Curves race action set. Get Mattel's new Hot Wheels, the fastest metal cars you've ever seen. And I've had a lot of fun buying Hot Wheels for my grandsons, and they love those things. I had all those action sets, including the Hot Curves action set, but then I got a little older and became interested in a different kind of curve, and so... <laughs> I'm not sure what happened to all my Hot Wheels. Well, you get older and things begin to change. And Sandy and I got married in February of 1982, and Andrew was born on December the 18th, one week before Christmas in 1984. And uh, that really was a very special Christmas for us. And then Trisha came along a little later in 1988. And so after that, whether or not we had a good Christmas, at least a lot of times in my mind, was based on the kind of Christmas that I was able to provide for my kids. Uh, for many years, when we were first married and when our family was young, there wasn't a whole lot of money. And so what I would do is if I did a wedding and got some money for it, I would put it aside uh, for Christmas. If I did a funeral and got some money for it, I would put it aside for Christmas. I took every speaking engagement uh, that came along, and I preached a lot of revivals. And any money I got for revivals, I would, I would set that money aside side uh, and use it to pay for Christmas. I preached lots of revivals in lots of small churches and country towns in Oklahoma, and I could tell you some funny stories about some of those revivals. I remember preaching a revival at church. I don't think there were more than 17 or 18 people came any one night, and they had a praise band that was made up of three instruments, a piano, a snare drum, not a drum set, a snare drum, and a woman playing the trombone. You just don't get enough of the trombone in the praise band these days. <laughs> but I would put all that money aside for Christmas, and that was what we would use. It was always tight, but we made it work. And oftentimes, my evaluation of whether or not it was a good Christmas was based on what I was able to provide for my children. The worst Christmas I can ever remember was the first Christmas that we had as a family here in Indiana. We'd moved here in late October of 2001. We were waiting for our house to sell, and so we were living in a house that the church owned that used to be back here about where our maintenance building is. Some of you who've been around for a long time remember that our property ended back there at a street, and across the street there were several houses, and ultimately we bought all those houses and removed them, but we lived in one of those houses. Everything that we owned was 
was piled up in, in boxes and, and stacked upon each other in the garage of that house, and so we didn't have very much. And so that first Christmas Eve, we tried to celebrate the way we always did between Christmas Eve services, and we set up a little card table in a front room there, and um, uh, Sandy made, she did a great job. She made all the traditional Christmas food that we would share with our family uh, back in Oklahoma, including my Aunt Florence's Punch. That's a part of our Christmas tradition, my Aunt Florence's Punch, which sounds a whole lot better than it is because it's just grape soda and ginger ale mixed together. (laughs) And we tried to have Christmas Eve, and... Folks, it was pathetic. It was pitiful. Everybody was so sad and so homesick, and there were a lot of tears. And later in the evening, I left my family in that house, and I walked across the parking lot so I'd come back over here for uh, our 11 o'clock Christmas Eve service. And when I was walking across the parking lot, I can remember thinking to myself, what in the world am I doing in Greenwood, Indiana? What have I done to my family? I am the worst father in history. And it was pretty pathetic. Even as a pastor, oftentimes uh, with each passing year, my evaluation of whether or not it's been a Christmas, a good Christmas rather, is based on how things went at church, you know? I mean, did we have big Christmas crowds? Did we have good year-end giving? Did we, you know, all the events that we did, were they all successful? Now, I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but I have just spent the last several minutes telling you for the most part that for the biggest part of my life, deciding whether Christmas was good or bad was based on me. It was all about me. And what that really means is over the years, I'm sure there have been more times than I'd like to mention or I'd like to know or remember where I missed the real point of Christmas. And so here we are. It's the Sunday before Christmas. Christmas is just three days away. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm pretty sure there are probably people in this service this morning and people watching me online who are needing a little bit of of a reminder about the real meaning of Christmas. When you turn your television on in December, there's an endless array of Christmas movies. I love to watch them all. I I, I watch White Christmas every year. We had it on television the other day while Sandy and I were wrapping presents, and I like to sit there, and I say the lines before the characters even say it. I know them the movie that well. I sing along with all the songs, not just White Christmas. I know all of them. I watch Christmas Vacation. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, multiple times throughout December. Every time I'm channel surfing and I come across Christmas Vacation, I stop and I, I watch the movie, at least for a little while. One of the movies that's always on is a movie called Christmas with the Cranks. It's kind of a silly movie. It's not that good a movie, but probably one that most people have seen. What a lot of people don't know is that that movie was actually based on a book written by John Grisham called Saving Christmas. It's a story about a middle-aged couple named Luther and Nora Crank, whose daughter Blair has left home to serve in the Peace Corps in Peru. And since she's not going to be home for Christmas, they decide this year they're just going to skip Christmas and go on a relaxing 10-day Caribbean cruise. One day, Luther sits down and he does the math, and he figures out that they'd spent over $6,000 last year on Christmas and have almost nothing to show for it. And so they just decide, no Christmas this year, no tree, no lights, no decorations, no party, no gifts, nothing. But then on Christmas Eve, they get a surprise phone call from their daughter, Blair, who's back in the United States in the Miami airport on her way home. And not just that, she's gotten engaged while she's been gone serving in the Peace Corps, and she's bringing her fiancé home with her. He's not a U.S. citizen. He's never seen Christmas in the States, and all she's done is tell him about how big Christmas is at her family's house, and he can't wait to experience a real American Christmas. And so they hang up the phone knowing they got four hours now to do 
what in previous years they spent the entire month of December doing, getting ready for Christmas. Well, at that point, the movie gets kind of crazy and kind of silly, but in the end, you know, you have that typical story of the cranks being reminded of the true meaning of Christmas. I don't know where you are this morning with regard to Christmas, but my guess is there are some of us that probably needed to be, need to be reminded, at least on some level, about what Christmas is really about, because we don't want to miss the holiness of the season. We don't want to miss the wonder of the season. We don't want to miss the real message of the season. And so here's what we're going to do. Just a few minutes ago, I made this confession that oftentimes evaluating Christmas for me can be all about me. And while there's clearly a sense, I want you to listen to me really close, while there's clearly a sense where that's wrong, I feel compelled to say this morning that there's also a sense where that is completely accurate because you know what? Christmas is all about me. Just like Christmas is all about you. Because at Christmas, we received the gift that all of us so desperately needed, and that's the gift of Jesus. And that brings us to Philippians chapter 2. And so if you've got your Bibles open there and you're able this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand with me for just a couple of minutes for the reading of a very brief passage of Scripture. And this, this message is going to be different. You're going to see that very different. I, I want you to have a little bit of an experience this morning more than a regular time of teaching So I'm just going to read verses 6 through 8 of Philippians chapter 2. The apostle Paul is writing here to the church in Philippi, and he's encouraging them to have the same attitude that Christ had. And then he describes Christ like this, beginning in verse 6. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask for God to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus left his home in heaven to come to earth as a man. And as Paul said, even though he was God, he didn't cling to his rights as God. In fact, Paul said about Jesus that he made himself nothing. In the original language of the New Testament, that word nothing there is the Greek word kanao, and it literally means empty or void. And what that means on a practical level is that Jesus completely laid aside every single privilege that was associated with being God and made himself absolutely nothing. Why? Why would he make himself nothing? Why would he become a man and make himself nothing? Listen to the way the great Saint Augustine would answer that question. He wrote once and said, God became a man for this purpose. Since you, a human being, could not reach God, but you can reach other humans, you might now reach God through a man. Here's how Paul would explain that in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Here's what we understand at Christmas. Jesus made himself nothing so he could, with his death on the cross, give us something that we could never get on our own, and that is the forgiveness of our sin and ultimately hope for eternity. There was a gap that existed between man and God, a gap 
caused by our sin, but Jesus bridged that gap when He came into the world and was born in Bethlehem so that one day He could die on the cross. And that's why we celebrate Christmas, and that's what we remember. So regardless of where you might be on this, is this going to be a good Christmas scale, I want to encourage you in these last few days, what do we have, three days before Christmas, in these last three days to be intentional and vigilant about doing three very simple things. The first one is this, and you can write this down next to number one if you like to take notes. Focus on the gift. And when I say gift, I mean focus on the ultimate gift, the gift that Jesus gave us with his life. I spend a lot of time at Christmas thinking about gifts because I am somebody who wants to maintain financial order at Christmas time. And how many of you know that's difficult to do? And so I budget for Christmas. And, and every week, I budget for Christmas every week out of the year because a certain amount of money is transferred into a savings account earmarked for Christmas every single week of the year. So when it comes time to buy presents, there's no financial trauma in our life because the money has already been set aside. And now it's just deciding how to spend that money. And I'm very vigilant about that as well, especially with my grandkids because I tried to do the best I can to make sure that they all have the same number of gifts. How many of you know what I'm, how many of you feel me today? Okay. But I can be so wrapped up in thinking about those kinds of gifts that I don't spend near enough time thinking about the ultimate gift. And that's why I have this point. We need to focus on the gift. And so in the spirit of vintage Christmas, I'm going to have Austin come and with the band and share a song with you that is really a vintage song. It's one of the most popular Christian uh, Christmas songs in history. It was recorded by a guy named David Meese back in 1980. It's been recorded over 200, by over 200 different artists in different languages, and I'm sure many of you will recognize the tune and the words, but it really shows us, teaches us, reminds us how important it is to focus on the gift.
Would you sing that chorus with us? And we are the reason that he gave his life. And we are the reason that he suffered and died. To a world that was lost, he gave all he could give to show us a You know, at Christmas, we always say Jesus is the reason for the season, which is absolutely correct. I mean, the truth is Jesus is the reason for everything. But what I want to remind everyone of this morning is that there's something else that's true. You are the reason. I'm the reason for the season because Jesus came for us. The second thing that I want to challenge you to be vigilant and intentional about in the next few days is this. Don't miss giving your most important gift. When we talk about the gift of Jesus, we celebrate Christmas because Jesus brought us so many things. Uh, when he brought himself, he brought us love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and peace and purpose and eternal life and on and on and on. But there's really only one gift that we have to give back to him, and that's the gift of our lives. Now, if that's something that you've never done before this morning, then you can do that today before we leave. You can give your life to Christ. But my guess is most of the folks here in this service and listening to me online have already done that. And so what I want to encourage you to do is spend some significant time over the next few days finding new ways to renew and confirm your commitment to the Lord. In fact, I thought it would be nice if we might do that together as a part of this service if you're willing, and there's certainly no obligation for anyone to do this, I, I want to lead you in that great confession that I always have people repeat when they publicly testify to their faith, when they publicly express their faith through baptism. I always stand in the baptistry with them, and I take their right hand, and I say, repeat these words after me. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I confess him as the Lord of my life. That confession is based on two things. First of all, the confession Peter made in Matthew 16 when he said to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then secondly, the words that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10 when he said, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'd like to lead you in that confession, and I'm just going to add one word to it. And so listen closely as I ask you to follow me. Here we go. If you're willing, certainly no obligation to do this, but if you're willing, repeat these words after me. I still believe, I still believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I confess him as the Lord of my life. What would Christmas be like this year if we spent some time telling Jesus that the deep desire of our heart continues to be a desire to know him and to follow him and to live for him? 
And I'm challenging you this morning to find a way to renew that gift, renew the gift of your life back to the Lord. You can think of it like this. Christmas is the gift that Jesus gave to us because it was the gift we desperately needed because we needed the gift of life. And as a result, we want to give our life back to him. We want to make sure that we never lose sight of that need. In Matthew 16, 25, Jesus says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. That's the way it reads in my New International Version Bible. Listen to that verse in what's called the easy-to-read version of the Bible. Any of you who try to save the life you have will lose it, but you who give up your life for me will find true life. See, when you give your life to Jesus, the Bible says that he gives it back to you, but he doesn't give it back to you the same way that he received it. He gives it back to you with abundance, and he gives it back to you with hope, and he gives it back to you with eternity in mind. And we rediscover Christmas and what it's all about when we renew our commitment to the Lord. The third thing, really quickly, is I'm going to ask you to be vigilant and intentional about doing one final thing, and that's this. Add one more gift to your list. I know you're probably thinking that sounds crazy with the little amount of time we have between now and Christmas. I mean, even Amazon Prime can't deliver on that uh, (laughs) request, but listen to me. Hear me out. I love the way the book of Philippians, in the very beginning, Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi, a church that he loved and had such a close relationship with. I love the way in chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul writes and says to these believers, I thank my God every time I remember you. When someone comes to your mind this Christmas, somebody special, somebody that's made a difference in your life, then add this one gift to your list. Add the gift of thanking God for that person, thanking God for the impact they've made on your life. When you're face-to-face with them, and maybe for some this can happen today, when you're face-to-face with that person, that person who is such a big part of your life, then tell them that a part of your Christmas celebration this year is that you're going to consciously take time in your life to say a prayer of thanksgiving to God for them for their presence in your life. That might be awkward for you. I know that's difficult. Some people have a difficult time expressing things out loud that way, but maybe it's an opportunity for some growth in your life. And if it's too awkward for you, then find a way to write it down in a card or in a note. Just add the gift of thanking God for the people that mean the most to you in your life. And listen, if you're someone who is struggling this Christmas, Because I understand that while Christmas is, for the most part, a time of great joy for all of us, or most of us, rather, there are some who struggle emotionally during Christmas for a variety of different reasons. If you're struggling because you've got an unmet need, or your marriage is in a bad place, or you feel like your family's falling apart, or you're estranged from your children, you've experienced some kind of loss, you're anxious, you're you're afraid related to the future, whatever it might be, then I'm going to ask you to do this. Take the time to consciously decide that Instead of thinking about what's missing in your life, not to minimize that in any way, shape, or form, but instead of thinking about what's missing in your life, you're going to think about what's present in your life, what exists in your life, what God has provided for you right now today, and then be thankful. Give the gift of being thankful to God for the people that mean the most to you in your life, and let them know. 
Let them know how thankful you are. You know, we, we have or can have a bad habit sometimes of making Christmas all about us. I have a bad habit of oftentimes making Christmas all about me, my expectations, my wants, my preferences. But here's the paradox of Christmas. I don't know any other way to describe it. Here is the paradox of Christmas. Christmas really is all about us. It really is all about me. Because we are the reason that God sent his son into the world. It was so we might be saved. God sent Jesus to be born in a manger, ultimately to die on a cross, so that we would have the opportunity to turn our lives toward him and experience the forgiveness of sin and receive a brand new life in return. And this Christmas can be so special if we can just remind ourselves of that, if we can just remember that Jesus did all of this for us and then let that truth shape the way that we live. Now, we're going to close this part of our service a little different than we normally do. I'm going to pray here in just a moment, but I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not even going to ask any prayer counselors to come down. The team is going to come back, and Phil is going to share a very special song with us. And in the end, we're going to stand together, and we're going to sing in worship to the Lord before Andrew comes and dismisses us. And this is our decision time because I'm asking for the decision to be made in your heart today right where you are to make sure that you remember Jesus in this Christmas season and you're vigilant and intentional to do all those things that we just talked about. Father, thank you for a chance to spend a little bit of time together uh, this morning being reminded of the real meaning of Christmas and being reminded, even though it sounds odd to say, it even almost sounds wrong to say, that Christmas really is, in a sense, it really is about us, all about us, because that's how much you love us. And that's how committed you are to providing for our greatest needs. So help us to remember that and help us to make the commitment today to not waste these last few days before Christmas, but to make sure that our hearts are focused on the right things and that we say the right words and we take the right steps to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.